This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, good morning, good morning. Let's um, let's give Jesus some praise today, because that's why we're here, all right? Um, man, Pastor Kevin, um, he, he calls me to cry the last service um, with his introduction, but I just want you guys to understand how much I love our pastor, how much I love his wife, Amanda, and how much I love their family. They've kind of come alongside us in this journey, um, and how many people, we've talked already about it in this series, but we need some people to hold our hands up when we can't do it ourselves. And they have come alongside us, encouraged us, just been so generous with everything. Um, and he's a great leader, um, having uh, not only being my boss, but how to do that as a friend too. And I'm just so grateful uh, for him and them and that um, he's given me this opportunity to be here. I have something really exciting that I can't wait to share. Uh, but before I do that, I want to honor my team so um, if you serve on the guest experience team here at Vortex Church, there's a lot of you. I want you to stand up, and hopefully they weren't all in first service, as I just said. <laughs> Come on, don't be shy, don't be bashful. Y'all, let's give a round of applause for these guys. If you don't know, we meet in a movie theater. It is not a church Monday through Saturday. It is a movie theater, but they come in and they set this place up early. They prepare it um, so that it is a sacred place to worship. And I am so thankful for all of them. They also, um, from the street into the seat, they are welcoming you, making sure that you have everything that you need so that you can um, be prepared for what the Lord wants to put on your heart. So thank you guys for um, making it so easy to lead you guys. I also want to um, show my family, if you don't know, uh, my husband Brian is in the back. Um, he is the real MVP of our family. He is always behind the scenes um, doing what God's called him to do, not only for our family, but also for me so that I can do what God's called me to do. And so I'm super thankful for him. He's, it's been some late nights this week as I've prepared for this, and he has just jumped right in um, and done all the dad duty that he needed to do and more. And then I have the three um, sons of thunder, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> They're great. They are lots of energy. Mason is 11. He leaves today for the student trip, so it's his first time. I know. We've got a bunch of students going. Um, that's really exciting, this new stage of life for him. And then Caleb, he's on the side. Um, he is the middle child all the way, 100%. A little sweet and salty. Um, and then there is Levi in the middle. He is six. He is squishy. Um, he is so much fun uh, and he the Lord um, has really given me a lot of strength um, over the last few years but we're out of toddler years I've got some sleep so we're entering a really fun season in that and you know if if you're new to vortex maybe today's your first day or it's also summertime so I recognize that some of you might have been gone over the last few weeks but we've been in a fun series called come to the table and we've been unpacking what God has to say say about community and relationships and we've learned that we were 
builds, like God created us for real, authentic relationships. And in that, we need friends, but friends also need us. And then last week was really awesome because we talked about what it means to invite your family to the table. And as parents, we've been given this incredible opportunity to resource our table so that we're pointing our kids to Jesus. You know, what better representation of community than a table? I just showed you my three boys. We are always at the table. They eat 14 times a day. And I'm feeling it. My pocketbook feels that. But even in that, we do life around our table. I mean, we do school around our table. We play games around our table. Where my youngest has Play-Doh building stuff at the table. It gets messy at the table. We argue at the table. There is a lot of stuff that happens at our table. But for the next few minutes, I want you guys to kind of think outside of your own table. Think outside of your own house. And let's go outside because God has actually called us to love our neighbors and to love them well. And so um, I just want to take you there. And you know what? God has actually, Pastor Kevin just mentioned um, that I felt like this has been our mission field. You know, when God called us back from um, Wilmington, we lived there for 17 years. We were at the beach, y'all. We moved to Stanley County because we felt like God had called us here. And, and we have family here. And that was one of the main reasons. But also, I really felt this incredible conviction that God was calling us to a mission field. He wanted us to love others for him so that we could point others to him. And in that, he didn't give us a church right away. He actually gave us a neighborhood. And when I say he gave us a neighborhood, he smacked us right in the middle of a cul-de-sac filled with families that were like us and that aren't like us and um, with people of different ages and backgrounds. And so we just felt like here, he was handing it on a silver platter. Here is your opportunity. So we've tried to be real intentional with that. Um, and and I'll, I'm going to be honest, it's been a blessing, but I have not always done it well. You see, I've let my pride, I've let my offenses stand in the way at times. But y'all, God is faithful. And he's been so gracious in teaching me how to love through some really difficult seasons and some differences. And you know, it's funny because when we think about neighbors, depending on your personal experience with neighbors, you might be sitting here having the warm and fuzzy feelings like, oh, I love my neighbors. But you might have quite the opposite. Um, I think TV shows have done a really good job exploring some stereotypical relationships. The first one, I'm going to take it back in time. Tim, the toolman Taylor, home improvement, and his wise confidant, Wilson. You never saw Wilson's face below his nose. But that it didn't matter because Tim always was seeking him out to get the advice of his neighbor on how to deal with hard times. And then my personal favorite is friends. Oh man, love me some friends. Now some of these, they were all neighbors. Sometimes they chose each other as their neighbor, but they still had their differences and their quirks. You had Joey who would show up from across the street, he would come in uninvited, not as 
the street, across the hall. He would come in uninvited to Monica's apartment. He would go to the refrigerator, open it up, get out last night's leftovers, and sit on the table before she even had time to know that he was there. So neighbors can be a little uncomfortable. What about Steve Urkel? Family Matters. The Winslow family. He had that goofy grin and he was bound and determined to always mess something up. And it always ended with, did I do that? And then what about the old grumpy Mr. Wilson? Black and white days. Dennis the Minutes. We have movies now, so hopefully some of you that are younger can identify. But I cannot identify with the old grumpy neighbor because God has blessed us with some really great neighbors that have become grandparents to our adopted grandparents to our kids. But, you see, Dennis was much like my six-year-old. He was a little curious, a little mischievous, and had some time on his hands. So he always went over to see what Mr. Wilson was doing. You know, with these stereotypes, it's no wonder that we live in a day where we have automatic garage door openers. You know, those make it easy to not talk to our neighbor, much less spend time with our neighbors. But when we look through God's word, we find that loving our neighbor matters to God. I want to take you to a story in the Bible where Jesus teaches us about what neighborly love looks like. Now, before we dive into the scripture, let me just set up what's going on. Jesus has been approached by a lawyer. The scripture actually says that he's an expert in Jewish law. So this guy not only knows the rules, but his job is to uphold the rules. Now, he's skeptical of Jesus because here Jesus comes on the scene. He's healing people, doing crazy miracles. And not only that, he's teaching with so much authority. So he decides, I'm going to test him. I want to ask, how do I get to heaven? You know, Jesus knows that he knows the rules. So he turns the question on him and he says, well, what does the law of Moses say? And the lawyer answers, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these two rules are actually known as the two greatest commandments because all of the law of Moses is built on those two premises. So Jesus affirms the lawyer. He says, good, good job. Yes, go and do that. And you'll go to heaven and heaven. But again, the man, he wants to get a little bit more specific. He knows the rules. And here Jesus is, who's been known to break the rules to show people God's love. So the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? He wants Jesus to get specific. Who is my neighbor? Will you stand with me as we read this passage of Scripture? Maybe just open your hands out because we want to get all of what God has. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. 
Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Will you pray for me, with me? (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the truth that you've hidden in it for us to uncover and to study and to understand. And God, I just pray right now for me and for all my friends that are standing with me, God, that, that you speak to us clear. You help us to understand who our neighbor is and how we love them well and why it's so important. And I ask all these things for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may sit. <laughs> so who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Now, I ask that, and you're sitting here probably thinking literally, like me. Well, my, my neighbor is Mike and Kathy and Christy and Sean and Beth and Josh. You know, you might have even decided where you lived based off of your neighbors. Maybe, maybe you actually got the opportunity to pick your neighbor. But in this story, Jesus really wants us to see something different. In fact, we start to see after unpacking what the Bible says that we don't always choose our neighbors. Your neighbor may not be who you choose, but who God chooses for you. Let me repeat that. Your neighbor may not be who you choose, but who God chooses for you. There was an English philosopher, J.K. Chesterton. He once said, we make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. Think about that for a minute. We make our friends. We're drawn to certain people based off of things that they like to do or similar family structures. And then, unfortunately, we mess up. We make enemies because we maybe say things that hurt people's feelings. But God makes our next-door neighbors. God knitted them in their mother's womb. He gave them all of the things that make them tick and what makes them fun. And guess what? He handpicked your neighbor to be close to you for a reason. Let's go back to the story because I want you to understand some cultural differences and you'll hopefully see what I mean by this. See, the Jew and the Samaritan, they were not neighbors at all. In fact, this Samaritan, he was actually, he didn't belong there. He was a, a tourist, but or more like a foreigner on this Jewish road. See, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't live close to each other because they hated each other. And this ran deep, y'all. Like it went back hundreds of years prior. The Samaritans were actually Jews who, after Babylon had carried away a big group of the Jews to live somewhere else, They remained, for whatever reason, they remained. God let them remain. But in that, they settled into Samaria, and other people groups came in and started to intermingle and intermarry with them. And so they started to adopt the cultures of the Assyrians or whatever other people group came in. So they still knew God. They still knew God, but they worshipped him differently. It was in a different place. 
So then we see the Jews who come out of exile from Babylon and they go to rebuild the temple. That was their goal. Seventy years later, they had been in exile and they come. They want to rebuild their temple and make things right. Well, the Samaritans show up on this scene and they're like, well, these are our brothers. We're going to help. But the Jews, they didn't want their help. They saw that other cultures had been influenced by them and they didn't think that they were um, a pure breed. They called them half-breeds and so they sent them away. So now we can see that the Samaritan and Jew were not neighbors. So why is he there? I mean, why is the Samaritan there? It makes sense that the priest and the temple assistant are there. They're going to work. Well, I think what Jesus wants us to see is that the Samaritan didn't choose this path for himself. Instead, he chose it because God put him there. He had the faith to believe that God was inviting him into a much bigger plan. And as you can see, it's one full of love and redemption. You know, the Apostle Paul, he tried to explain this kind of faith in love when he wrote to the Galatians. He said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Think about that. The only thing that counts is faith is when we, we love and we show we have the actions to back it up. So let me ask you, who are your neighbors? Maybe you can relate to the Samaritan. Maybe you are living, maybe you're working in a place, going to school in a place that nobody is like you. Everybody is different. You don't share any of the same beliefs the same attitudes, you don't look the same, but I want you to consider that maybe what if God has planted you there because those are the people that God has called you to love? What if God has planted you in that house or in that cubicle right beside somebody else because they need to see the love that God has for them? The truth is, is that anyone that needs, your neighbor is anyone that needs God's love. Your neighbor is anyone that needs God's love. Need some water. You see, the Samaritan, they didn't see, he didn't see a Jew lying on the side of the road. He didn't see his enemy. He saw a person that God had hand-knitted and handcrafted, and honestly, he probably thought, this could have been me, because he's in unknown territory where he is the enemy. When he saw him lying there stripped of his dignity, beaten up, God stirred something so deep in his heart. He wasn't looking through cataracts of racism. Instead, he's looking through clear lenses of empathy, y'all. You see, that's such a great illustration for God's compassion for us. Scripture tells us in Psalm 72, he feels pity for the weak and the needy. And he will rescue them. He will redeem them from oppression and violence for their lives are precious to him. Y'all, only God can give this type of compassion. This kind of compassion doesn't just allow us to pass on the side of the road 
It makes us take action. We see that the Samaritan left all of his differences right there on the side of the road. And he went over to help the Jew. He not only bent down, but he, he um, soothed his wounds. He cleaned him up. He bandaged him. Put him on his own horse and spent his own time and money making sure that he got back to the inn and was taken care of. You see... This is sacrificial love. And I want you to consider for a minute, like, who are the people in your own life that need to see God's love in action? Who are the people? Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Maybe it's none of that. Maybe it's the girl at Starbucks that takes your order every single day. Maybe she's there because she needs to see God's love and action. You see, Jesus is using this story to teach us who our neighbors are, but he's also using it to teach us how to love. And as believers, I believe that we need to live in such a way that reflects God's love so that whenever you leave a hangout or a conversation, the people that you were with, they stop and they say, man, that was different. What makes them so different? What makes them be called to serve and to love. Peter references this way of living in Scripture. He says, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Listen, friends, God has set me and you apart to be a beacon of hope and light to a dark and broken world. So how do we love? How do we love? Number one, we have to have the courage to love. We love courageously. This road to Jericho that the Samaritan was on, it was no easy uh, shortcut. It was actually 18 miles long. It started at Jerusalem and it winded down 3,000 feet to Jericho. Like my mind, I had to put that into perspective. And so maybe you're like me. So Brian looked up Mar Mountain and it is exactly 936 feet tall. How many of you have stood at the top of Mar Mountain and overlooked? If you haven't, you need to, okay? It's gorgeous. But it's also steep. And so this road was three times the size of that. So it was steep. It was dangerous. Locals called it the bloody path. It's not really the, the, place, the place that I want to be on. It was the perfect setting for hijackers to hide behind rocks and bends in the road. But the Samaritan, he risked his life to save the Jew. And not only that, he risked his reputation as well because he helped an enemy you see jesus did the same thing when he crossed into samaritan territory to have a conversation with a woman at the well and if you don't know the story the important part to know is is that that loving conversation that jesus had it not only changed her life it changed a whole village's life so i want you to think just for a minute how can we love our neighbors courageously you know maybe we need to have the courage to invite some neighbors with the rowdy kids over for ice cream 
You know that your house is going to be a disaster when they leave. And you know that something might even get broken. But guess what? Those parents, they probably don't get many invites. And they're probably looking for someone to encourage them and to love them. And you sit down and you start to do life with them and realize, I'm not that much different than them. Or, or maybe there is a, a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor, someone that you know that has just lost their spouse, and it's a really dark season. You know that they need hope. So you have the courage to invite them, come to church with me, and take them to lunch afterwards. We're filled with opportunities to love the people that are around us, and God has given us resources to do that. You know, my family went to um, Atlanta last week, which was really fun. We took the kids to the aquarium um, and a baseball game. But we also had the opportunity to walk through Martin Luther King Jr.'s birth home. And I love history. I have not always loved history, but I love history now. And so this was, I geeked out on it. My, my kids probably didn't care as much as I did. But I came across um, something that he said as I was looking in a book. And I felt like it was This was relatable to this situation. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The true neighbor will risk his position, his prestige, and even his life for the welfare of others. Risk his position, his prestige, and even his life for the welfare of others. Y'all, we have to use the courage. We have to have the courage. If God has given us the resources to help, then we need to have the courage to use them. That's our time, our talents, and our treasure. And we have to sacrifice these things. That's number two in your notes. We love sacrificially. How do we love our neighbors? We love sacrificially. I don't know, whenever... I was reading the story. If you were like me, you probably asked, well, why didn't the priest and the temple assistant not stop? I mean, it was essentially the pastor and the the church staff. They didn't stop. You see, they um, were probably on the same road for the same reason that the Jew was. And by law, nothing separated them. But it was actually the law that probably kept them from helping. What do I mean? Well, Jewish law requires priests to be ceremonially clean prior to serving. And one of the rituals that they had to do, requirements, was they couldn't touch a dead body before work. So let's just say that they stopped and this man died on their watch. Well, at that point, they have sacrificed their position and their authority to help this man. They would have lost their job. This may sound absurd, I mean, honestly, in our modern-day minds, because we don't have to think about that, but I wonder how many opportunities we've overlooked because we didn't want to sacrifice our own agenda. You know, practically speaking, can we turn off Netflix and take some time to go help the neighbor across the street do their lawn work? Or maybe it's leaving your phone at home and going for a walk around the neighborhood and just be available Whoever God has put in front of you, start a conversation. Hang out on the, on the driveway instead of the back porch, just so you're available for whatever 
God wants to present you with, whatever opportunities. And you see, when we do these things, we'll never know what kind of blessing God might have in return. This happened to my family last year. We were, um, had gone to Lowe's to get some supplies and we're getting into the car and I stopped mid-tracks and said, oh, we got a problem. We got a flat tire. This was not a flat tire that you're like, oh, we can make it, please God, let me get there. No, it was a pancake. We were not moving from that place. So what did we do? Well, my husband called our neighbor across the street from us. And within 10 minutes, y'all, he showed up. He took the, to help Brian take the tire off, put the spare on. And then he had resources to go plug the tire, fill it back up with air. And by the time we got into our driveway, it was sitting in there, our driveway with him waiting to help Brian put it back on. That's sacrificial love. Not only did he sacrifice his resources, he sacrificed his time. We came to find out that he actually had people over at his house. But he stopped what he was doing. He sacrificed his time. And guys, we can only sacrifice what God's given us by loving humbly. We love humbly and within the boundaries. Let me explain that for a minute. Boundaries are not negative. They are necessary. I want you to hear this. We are not the source of love for our neighbors. We're the resource. We're the resources that God uses to point them to him. And our capacity to love others will always be directly related to our ability to trust God as our source for love. You see, the good Samaritan, he helped save this Jew's life. He took care of him by doing what God had called him to do. But he also knew his limits. He knew when he needed to pass the baton off to somebody else. You know what we don't see in the story? We don't see the story getting burned out or getting bitter for taking care of the Jew. You know why? Because he knew his capacity. And then he stopped because he trusted God with the results. We have to trust that God is our true Savior, not us. And then out of that, healthy relationships, that's what we achieve. Healthy relationships are byproducts of healthy boundaries. Can I get real with you guys for a minute? This is my struggle. My name is Jen, and I struggle with boundaries. Feels good to say it. No, but y'all, like God, really, he's... He's created me. I love people. I love being around people. Um, but even more, I love creating opportunities for um, other people to be around each other, hosting gatherings. And, you know, I mentioned we've tried to be intentional with that in our neighborhood. So we had gotten into a rhythm of when people knew, like, hey, we've, our doors are open, come in. Um, but hmm, about two years ago, we decided it was a good idea to put a pool in. And, um, I mean, it was great timing for our kids. They were old enough to know that it was safe-ish. And um, they were young enough that we could enjoy it. But we also wanted to create a space to have people over and to hang out. But the problem with that is, is we didn't set boundaries. We didn't set healthy boundaries. We didn't set any boundaries. And so pretty soon, I started to get really worn out. And honestly, that led um, to, to becoming bitter about hanging out. But you see, 
that was never an expectation that God had put on me. He asked us to open our doors, absolutely. But he never said for it to be all the time. But here I was, I was afraid because we had worked so hard to build these relationships. I didn't want to tell anybody no. I didn't want to disappoint them. But taking some time to reflect, that was really just the enemy planting the seed in my heart to keep me from loving others well. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit and set healthy boundaries. That wasn't my neighbor's fault, y'all. That was my fault. I had to be plugged into the source, listening to the Holy Spirit. What are healthy boundaries? Because here's the thing. This life of loving others well, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, and I don't want you to grow weary. I don't want you to give up. And it's not just about being kind. Instead, it's about fulfilling the mission before us. Jesus ended his conversation with that lawyer with a command. He said, go. Go and love your neighbor. Here's the thing about commands. We either obey or we disobey. And we see Jesus tell us the same exact thing in Matthew, right before, Scripture records right before he had already died on the cross and risen. He'd done everything that he came to do, but he gives us these instructions. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Y'all, that's a promise. He is with us. He is our source. We are the resource. He's given us everything that we need to invite our neighbors, to love our neighbors, and to point them to Jesus. But if you're sitting here today and you just feel like, hey, I, I want that. I want to be a beacon of hope and love to those that are around me. But either, either you failed at it, or maybe it's just that you're not connected to the source. We can only get this type of love from the source. So I want to encourage you to get to connected to the source. Surrender that to Jesus. Surrender whatever idols is holding you back. Surrender it all to him so that you can love others the way he's called us to. Will you pray with me? God, I love you. I thank you so much just for um, everybody that is sitting in the seats right now. And God, as you're working in our hearts, helping us to process the truth that's in your word, Lord, I just ask that you help us to be bold. You help us to be courageous. You help us to humbly admit that um, we might have failed, but God, we know that, that you um, hold the key to helping us win in this area. And so, Lord, um, I just ask that you use this message for your glory in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.